Another dummy. Player one, press start to play. Welcome to episode 30 of Graveyard Duck Podcast. With you, as always, my name is Scott. And my name is Wes. Uh, big 3-0. Is that like a, a milestone here or something? I don't know. It's well, something, we should, I mean, something we should be proud of. I mean, we're still here. I, whether or not that's good or bad is up to you, the listener, I suppose. But uh, I feel like Nintendo Power always had fun things for like pseudo milestones. Like they'd make a big deal out of it and put some fancy cover on. It's like, it's, it's just 50. It's not a big deal. You know? Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> like the silver Mega Man X one, one year. And uh, I think it was actually the game we're talking about tonight was their 50th issue. I, the 50 or a hundred, I forget, but it, they made a big deal because there was a poster that had all of their covers uh-huh. up to that point. But yeah, that was on the uh, Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening Nintendo Power issue. But so, yeah, that's what we're talking about tonight. This was uh, your pick, Wes. It was. Yeah. Yeah. This uh, this kind of came about from a discussion that we were having on the uh, Discord a few weeks ago. And uh, we were just talking a little bit about it. And I had started playing it a few months back. And, you know, we got talking about it. And I thought this would be the perfect time to devote an episode to it, really get into a discussion about it. So. Yeah, I, I kind of agreed with you too. We we started, you know, on actually even back on Facebook talking about like the when we were doing the the Nessie Awards on there. If you don't mm-hmm. know what that is, you should be on Facebook. Um, and yeah, one of the categories was like best portable installment, and this one like hands down, and it just kind of you know surprised me. And I was asking people, you know, to to share their thoughts of why they why they like this so much and. Even just hearing their talk about it, it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, maybe I misjudged this game a little bit. I'll give it a second shot. And mm-hmm. was looking forward to replaying it anyway. And then here you come and say, let's just do this for an episode. So, yeah, why not? So. Right. So, yeah, should be fresh in a lot of people's minds. Uh, we've been talking about it on the social medias quite a bit. So, yeah, not too, uh, not too far out there for recent conversations. But uh, mm-hmm. let's talk nostalgia first before we get into more modern stuff. So, Wes, this was your pick, so you get to start. It was my pick, but here's the thing. Um, I really don't have any nostalgia for this game outside of the fact that it was one that has always been on my backlog, and okay. I've, always, I've always meant to get to it. So, um, like I said, I, I picked up the uh, Game Boy Color cartridge of uh, Link's Awakening DX uh, probably a few months ago, and 
you know, it, I know it's been on Virtual Console on 3DS and it's been out forever on the Game Boy. But um, again, as I've talked about in previous episodes, when this came out on Game Boy at the time, I just I wasn't playing my Game Boy as much. I was just too big into 16-bit stuff. So uh, it was one that I always wanted to come back to and, you know, finally decided to sit down and uh, play through it. And I'd played um, a little bit of uh, Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons when that came out on 3DS a few years ago. So I was already kind of familiar with the process a little bit. I mean, as far as Link's Awakening, I kind of knew about it. But, you know, finally decided to pull the trigger and, and play it on the, on the original console. And, uh, yeah, so started a few months ago, played it a little bit here and there, and put it on the shelf for a little while. And then we finally decided, let's talk about it. So here we are. That's interesting. Okay, yeah, I, I I knew that you weren't as familiar with it, but I didn't know you had never played through it. Yeah, I like I said, I knew of it, and it was one of those games that, uh, you know, I was wanted to play through, but other games came out and took priority, and I played those. And um, this, like I said, this just kind of kept getting put on the back burner. Sure. Um, yeah. So this one first came out for the Game Boy in '93, uh, mm-hmm. late summer, both in Japan and over here. And um, then, yeah, you said the Game Boy Color version, which came out years later. It was to, yeah, for 90. Christmas of 98. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into the differences between the two. But if, if you've only played one or the other, don't worry. The conversation still works. But um, yeah, I got I don't remember exactly the occasion for me getting this game, but I know that I would have gotten it pretty much right away when it came out. Um, the back in that era let's see i was 11 years old uh was still huge into zelda i loved the two for the nes and super nintendo obviously and this was before you know the franchises had burned me so i was still very eager and you know especially to get a handheld version of zelda like that was phenomenal and exciting so i i picked it up right away played through it you know pretty much the that's the only game i played as soon as i got my hands on it and I don't remember how long it took me, but I mean, it's a pretty in- involved game and there's a lot of little hidden secrets. So I-, I don't think I was as efficient at games back then as I am now. So, I mean, I probably spent months just playing nothing but this game when it first came out mm-hmm. and played through it um, was kind of had kind of had mixed feelings. I was more positive on it then than I am now. But after I was done, I kind of set it aside and as the years went on, I kept saying like, oh, I, I should come back and, you know, replay that again. And there have been three or four times that I've tried and I would get yeah you know, through the first dungeon, first two dungeons maybe. And then just kind of, it didn't really leave a good taste in my mouth. And I just kind of set it down. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine without. And I've, I've done that now three or four different times. And so I've never fully replayed the game up until two weeks ago when you said, let's do this for the episode. And um, yeah, I played through the whole thing. This time I did decide to play the Game Boy Color version because the, the cartridge that I hadn't played as a kid was the original. So I wanted to see if I could recognize any differences and things like that. So I played it beginning to end now twice in my life, once in 93 and then once just very recently. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's... I guess kind of the the extremes of spectrums in terms of you know nostalgia versus discovering it modern because surprisingly there was a lot that I remembered when I mm-hmm. played it this time especially like I said those first couple dungeons because that's the part I did over and over and over again but then 
once I got past that, there were things where it's like, okay, I remember that at some point I'm going to find this item. At some point, there's a dungeon over here that I have to do this to get into. I don't remember what number it is. But then there was a period, I think, right after maybe stage five, that I'm just like, okay, I'm blank from this point forward other than the final boss. So that all became very brand new to me then all over again. So um, anyway, yeah. So with you playing it through this time now for the first time, what'd you think? Well, this is where it's going to be interesting because there's things that I like about this game and there's some things that I I don't like that kind of bug me a little bit. And I'm going to try to temper my conversation a little bit due to the fact that, you know, this game came out in 93. So it's much, I mean, as far as the, the conventions that we're used to now, I think um, it's going to be quite different as far as talking about this game. But uh, that's kind of why I was really looking forward to getting in and discussing this, though, really, because, like I said, being, for me, like, getting into this game for the first time in 2018 is going to be really interesting to talk about because, um, for one, I, I will say that um, it's very impressive what they were able to pull off on the Game Boy, of all yeah. things, because, um, I mean... It, this is a long game. I mean, it's a full-fledged Zelda game, you know, right. with eight dungeons and uh, quite a bit of detail to it. For a Game Boy game, you know, I can't help but think that this is just um, mind-blowing, I guess. You know yeah. what I mean? Because, Technic- technically speaking, it's one of the most impressive games for the system. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the the thing about the Game Boy is, and I'm not saying anything negative about it, but, like, as much as I love the Game Boy if you want to really be honest with yourself, you have to admit that all it was really good for was having portable versions of games you loved at home, but they were always slightly it inferior. Like I mean, the, maybe I would it, say that there's also, it, it also had a, a ton of puzzle games too, though. And it did. It did. Um, and yeah, you're right. Once Pokemon and all that came, that was a kind of later generation than what I was used to. But like, we had Super Mario Land, and it wasn't as good as the Mario games on Nintendo and Super Nintendo, but it was portable. And um, Mega yeah. Man was never quite as good. And, you know, just little things like that. And Zelda was the one exception where I'm not saying it was better than the Nintendo ones, but it's like there was something about the just the caliber of what this game pulled off. It didn't feel like a game that was trying to be pushed into a Game Boy. It felt like it, it was really capable. Yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing too is, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in the discussion. But um, I feel that it, it is a big, full-fledged title, and maybe had I played it as a kid when I had more time, I could really get in and explore it. You know, uh, play it for months on end. But as an adult now, coming to this for the first time and playing it within limited time frames, you know, whether it be like playing it on my lunch break or, you know, playing a little bit here and there at night or whatever on the weekend, it's a lot more challenging. I think in that, um, especially with going through a lot of the dungeons, once you get later on in the game, it becomes really difficult to, unless you're going to sit down and play it for a couple of hours. Um, it's, it's hard to get where you need to go in like 30 to 45 minutes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, time sure. crunch, so, um, that was over the last couple of weeks me playing. That was kind of one of my complaints a little bit. And it's not that I'm, you know, uh, bad mouthing the game so much. It's just, I, I got thinking, it's like, okay, maybe this isn't really 
the game I could be playing right now because I'm not making that much progress. You know what I mean? Like I'd make a little bit of progress in like I spent a lot of time in level six, the face shrine. And I spent a lot of time like trying to figure that out, but it was in like 30 minute bursts. So then I come back and I think, okay, where was I? What was I doing? And then that's where I was thinking of more like more modern games where you have, you know, objectives, you have, um, you know, hints kind of pointing you in the right direction. And in these older games that those kind of things didn't exist. So those modern conveniences that we've kind of gotten used to now aren't really here. And kind right. of the same way with, um, with saving the game. I know there's, there's a code to be able to hit A and B, select and start to, uh, you know, kind of save the game as you will. But I didn't really know that at first. So when it came time to have to save the game, it's like, okay, what do I do? I have to just go kill myself now or something. Right. Like, where's the quick save? Now, I, I know that that's an option on the 3DS version, but playing it, I guess, playing the original cartridge in 2018 presents some challenges, I guess. Right, right. So that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And like I said, it's not. I, I'm not trying to bag on the game at all. It's just I, I am considering it a product of its time. So, uh, you know, I, I get what it was able to accomplish back then. All right. Well, let's. I would say let's just go ahead and kick the door down then, because I am going to bag on it a little bit. And we kind of had a couple discussions off mic where I think one of the things you said was that you know you, you felt like some of the criticisms of the game were more just a product of its time or limitations of hardware. And I kind of said, without telling you what my criticisms were, that it's like, no, these were all pretty avoidable, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and are just things that I find shortcomings of the game and things that make it f- far less enjoyable than it could be for me. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So I have three things, and this can kind of lead into as detailed of a discussion as you want to get into. Um, I will also say that only one of these three things bothered me when I played it as a kid. The other two I didn't really notice or care about. Um, playing it now as an adult, the other two have bothered me as well. So I don't, I don't know what that says about me, you know, being a 36-year-old gamer versus a, an 11-year-old gamer. But it's, it's an interesting discussion that could be had. Mm-hmm. Um, the one criticism that I had, even as a kid, is, you know, and I guess my minor spoiler alert for a 25-year-old game, I don't like the dream thing, and. I know that that sounds like a silly nitpick, um, but honestly, like what that does, in my opinion, is it makes the whole game not, it doesn't make it disposable, but it makes it easier to forget about it. Mm. Like, because. Like, there's no stakes. A little bit, yeah. Like, I finished this, and it's like, I don't remember the characters' names. I think the girl is Marin or Marin or Mary or something. And then she has a dad that looks like Mario and they're like the island is like Colonot or Col- Colo Lint or something. I I don't know. Like mm. there's no reason for me to really remember it because I know that it's a one shot, one and done, and then it's forgotten. It's not canon. It doesn't really have any longevity. Like there, there's a reason we remember Ganon and Hyrule and the Triforce because they're reoccurring things that we keep seeing over and over. Mm-hmm. This just feels so almost disposable. And I don't mean the gameplay itself, but I mean just the whole experience when you're done to have that rug pulled out from under you. And it's like, oh, the whole thing was just a dream. It's just like, well, then I don't know. I don't really feel as invested anymore. Yeah. And like even as a kid, that bothered me. 
Um, and I know that there are arguments out there that are like, oh, well, if you get like the good ending, it shows that it's maybe not a dream. And it's like, yeah, okay, fine. But like in the, in the grand sense of it all, like that's what it is. It's, mm. you know, Link crashed his boat. He wakes up on this dream island. He's trying to wake it up, you know, wake up this wind fish. And if he does, the dream ends. Mm. I mean, and so I don't know. It just, it, it felt like this weird out of place side story that, ultimately i've kind of forgotten about and that's that's sad because i think you know at least at in the early 90s still like zelda was a big thing that deserved more respect than just a a throwaway story in that way Mm -hmm. and i don't know i i know that i sound like way more critical or way more harsh on it than is probably necessary but it's just it's it's something that bugs me okay well let me uh let me pose a counterpoint to you here on that and that I think that um, the fact that that we know that it's a dream now has kind of been it's been in sort of the I guess the popular consciousness of of this game as you will um, for the last few years and that people know about that but I don't think that was necessarily the case at release because um, if you look through if you read the manual for instance the prologue tells a, an entire story of how after you had fulfilled the Hylian prophecy of the legendary hero and everything. And, you know, you were, uh, you set off on your uh, boat from Hyrule in search of wisdom, that, you know, make you better withstand the next threat. And then you crash on an island. So I think it's more because the manual, if you read through the story on pages three and four, it doesn't mention, none of this mentions that it's a dream at all. No, that's definitely the surprise twist ending. And- yeah. And I think, I think over the years, I think the twist, or that surprise has kind of just been out in the open, you know, and it's just been a thing like, oh, it's all a dream or it's all a side story. But, you know, back in the day, like you didn't necessarily know that that was the case. No. And so during my playthrough as a kid, like I was sucked in the whole time Mm -hmm. up until that very end, you know, and they, they kind of start to piece it out to you a little bit. Like each boss like taunts you and kind of tells you more of the story. Um, so like yeah, I was sucked into it right up until you beat the game and learned that like oh wait none of this happened and yeah. it's like oh okay like so you're right I didn't know it going in but I knew it as soon as I was done and that's a really that really deflated my experience. Well, and I would say there's also granted yeah it's a dream and and nothing really matters I guess if you're if you're thinking from Link's perspective I guess but um, I think when we were talking about this on Facebook a while back. And uh, I think it was Scott LaFerry was saying something about, uh, you know, the, the specifics as far as, you know, yeah, okay, if it's a dream, sure, but there's all these other people that are, you know, on on the island as well or in, in the towns or whatever. So it becomes more of a question of, you know, what is real, what is not, especially if it is all a dream and you wake up from the dream, then what happens to Marin and all those other people? And I think there's there's more subtext to the story if you start to look at it then you know it is kind of morbid and, and kind of dark for a zelda game to think you know yeah maybe link is dreaming but on the other hand you know here are these people that are going about their daily lives and you know doing things but do they cease to exist when you know when he wakes up i don't know so that uh, to me i think that's that's where the game gets more interesting is when it becomes sort of self-aware a little bit like even some of the characters when they talk to you they're like oh you know i i'm just a kid i don't know what i'm talking about or whatever but then you get to thinking it's like 
okay, if the windfish does wake up, what happens to all these people? Right. So I don't know. I guess my, my point is, even though knowing that it is a dream, I think there's still avenues to explore as far as the, um, the ideas presented, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and there's some philosophical stuff that you can get into that I think is an interesting discussion. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, and, and to be fair, like, just play the other side of this coin, Mario 2, also a dream. Sure. And that one that one doesn't bother me, but that's mostly because, like, that's not near the same, like, epic story. Like, Zelda, especially at this point, had sucked us in with these three huge adventures and so when we think like we're gonna get chapter four and then it's like oh no we're not like it's so i don't, I don't know how you, you wouldn't have known that until the end back then anyway though i guess i don't know i get what you're saying but at the same time um you know i mean really you could you could apply that that sort of mindset to a lot of games too like because most games don't really it's hard though because most games if you have a lot of games in the series, do they acknowledge all the previous games or do they do different things? It's hard to say. I mean, yeah. And, and every franchise kind of does it different. And yeah. now that we've seen where Zelda goes, it's like pretty much each game reinvents the wheel and, you know, pays yeah. no regard to the previous ones anyway. So it's kind of a moot point at this point, but. Uh, and that was always kind of my thing with Zelda anyway, is that um, when the, the, Timeline came out a few years ago, I think, when the uh, Hyrule Historia book was out. And it just was completely, I don't know. It, I don't think, for me at least, Zelda is not one that I don't think needs a cohesive through line of a story. Because especially if you look at how the timeline breaks the games down, and then it splits up depending on whether you've got a good ending or a bad ending in a certain game, and then it kind of goes from there. It's just kind of, I don't know. I, I feel like these games were... They were meant to be just adventure games with, you know, Link, the, the player, the character, you know, linking you to that world and then kind of go from there. Now, in recent years, yeah, there's been a lot more attempts to try to tie the story together and make sense of everything. Yeah, but, and, I, and I think it's a ridiculous attempt. I really do. I think that's yeah, people. Just, who, but I mean, that's that. But that's human nature, too, though, is we want to. Right. And, and you want to assume that these all are connected, but. Right. If that's the case, then it just drives me nuts that it's like, okay, so you're really going to believe that every 50 years or so, however often, there just happens to be another boy with this green tunic and hat who's born named Link, and he's destined to be the hero. Come on. Like, just... Well, if you, if you play like, Skyward Sword, they kind of explain all that stuff, too, but I don't yeah, know. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, the, the point is, I guess, it's the same thing that, um, you know, if you looked at when the Star Wars prequels came out in the early 2000s. You know, to, to go back and kind of fill in all the gaps and, and tell the backstory or try to try to link things together, link things together. You know? I, I got it. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know. There's it's it's Zelda. We know the characters. Um, it's an adventure. I mean, that I'm that's all I'm good with, you know. Um, and there's you could argue too, like, is the Wind Waker part of Breath of the Wild's timeline or if it's not. But who knows? It's hard to say. I mean. What it comes down to is you've got multiple games in a series where not always the same designers and directors are going to be creating them. So it's hard to have a consistent through line on these games. Right, right. Uh, it's bizarre. All right. So um, real quickly, my other two, I guess, kind of criticisms of the game. One is I absolutely hate the controls of this game. Hmm. Like they have basically created a system, for those of you who haven't played it, where... 
like like the original Zelda, your A button was always your sword, and you got to select which item was on your B button. In this one, you can assign A and B both to different things, mm-hmm. um, including your sword and your shield. So you can equip you know your sword to one hand or your bow, or you can walk around with bow and boomerang or whatever different combination you want. Mm-hmm. Now, on the surface, I like that idea. I think that's kind of a, a cool concept, except that like this game is definitely a lock and key puzzle game. So mm. almost every one of those items is designed as a key to help you get past a certain type of obstacle. Your mm. Pegasus boots don't really gain you any speed. They allow you to charge through these certain crystals. Bombs obviously open up passageways. Hookshot lets you get over gaps. The feather lets you jump over pits. All of the items, except for a couple, which are just straight weapons, are keys to get past certain barriers. Now, the problem I have with this is those barriers are everywhere in this game. And sometimes multiple barriers on the same screen. Like just east of the town when you leave, there's a spot where you have to equip the power glove and the sword so that you can pick up the boulder and slice the bush that's right behind it. Well, if you didn't happen to have those two things equipped, you have to go into the menu, pick, you know, or change your equipment around so that you can just move to the next screen. And almost every damn screen in this game has some sort of obstacle or something you have to switch your item around to be able to progress. And I feel like that goes back to what you were saying, where you know if you only had like a half an hour to play, you weren't mm. really making much progress. And it's probably for this reason. The dungeons are just as bad, if not worse, because it's very puzzle-driven. Mm-hmm. But not not just in the, like, can you figure out your way through the maze, but you're just constantly in and out of that start menu, switch into the feather, now switch into the bracelet, now switch into the hookshot, and switching around this, 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 just to move from screen to screen to screen. And it just drives me insane. Like, I think some of these items could just be automatic. Like, make your power bracelet, your shield, um, I don't know, like, I know you have limited buttons, but, like, some of these things you could just automatically have equipped mm. and like i i don't know like it, it it doesn't bother me in other games that have this same kind of inventory like the original zelda but most of those were just weapons they weren't keys and in this case it's just way too much switching i feel like i spend half of my time in that menu and that's usually what keeps me from wanting to keep going on after i get about past level two i'm just like i'm i'm tired of this um, yeah so those controls need a revamp in a major way. Yeah, I'll agree with you actually with the uh, the item switching because I did find that there's quite a bit of that. And um, in addition to that, what I will add um, on the overworld, especially, like you said, there's a lot of puzzles that require two different items. But at the same time, the other thing that I don't like about this game is the overworld map has very linear paths in which you can take to get to certain areas. And it's right. a lot more walled off in this game versus Link to the Past or even the original game where, you know, I could kind of go wherever and then I had the freedom to, to try things and pick things up and whatever. But here it's like I'm always forced on a certain path. It's, this game is a, t- it's a top-down Metroidvania game before that term existed. Sure, sure. But in a way that part of it could be again, due to the, the size of the screen and the size of the, the graphics, too. But there's times that 
you know, I would go from one screen to the next, and then all of a sudden on the next screen, either I can't go the direction I want to go because I'm, you know, standing up on a cliff and there's a wall or there's something else that's prohibiting me from going. Right. So instead of going in the most logical direction, let's, let's say if I'm going to the town or the beach or something, instead, like, I have to route all the way around to this certain way. And it, it was just kind of frustrating a little bit for me. Yep. As, as later on, um, when you get up into, like, the mountains and you're going around some of the caves and stuff, and there's one part where you have to jump. I think you have to jump down onto a cave or whatever, and there's two different spots. But... And again, it could be just from the item switching and things like that. But that's the other problem I have is when you're switching in and out of the screen so much, then it's kind of hard to remember exactly what was on the previous screen before, because all of a sudden then I'm thinking, okay, I got to do this thing to get this and whatever. So like, say you get up into the mountain and there's, you make the wrong jump and all of a sudden, like you're just pushed back into the lake at the bottom of the mountain. And then now you have to swim all the way around to get back up to go to the mountain. Like you can't just like climb back up. It's, it's this whole process of, of moving you around and trying to get up there. And right. that's only one of my biggest nitpicks about the game is just, you know, for as, as big of a map as it is, every little part of it is walled off into its own little section. And like you said, it is a, a puzzle in which you have to get to those certain spots and find a way to do it. But right. it's just not, I don't know. Um, this is definitely more, of a puzzle-based Zelda than Link to the Past is. And, you know, that that could be on purpose as well. But it's just being used to the other games, that's something that stood out and just kind of bothered me. Especially, like I said, playing on unlimited time, you know, day in, day out. So Right, right. Yeah, and then uh, my last little criticism of it, and again, it's something that easily could have been fixed and actually got made worse when they went to the DX version. It's just the ungodly amount of text that you have to deal with in this game. Yeah. And I don't mean like story text, like the people who talk and tell you more about the island or whatever, like that, that part's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's the, it's almost that like we have to hold your hand and give you a tutorial, like thing that later took over and was in every Zelda game from this point forward. It's almost like I felt like here's where it started. Yeah. And it's like the first time you step in accidentally touch a boulder and don't have the bracelet on it's like oh wow this looks really heavy i wonder if there's some way to pick it up or Mm -hmm. you touch that crystal hmm this is a weird looking crystal i bet you can't lift this one um the blocks with the keys in it the just freaking everything and you can't skip over it um every time you get the guardian acorn every time you get the piece of power it tells you all about what it does you can't skip it and yeah the that's the second reason that it's taken me this long to replay this game because I just don't have the patience to sit there and have that explained to me yeah. every time. And I don't want to play a game where like enemies drop items and I want to avoid them because it's annoying to pick them up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you there, especially uh, with the acorns, you know, cause they just drop randomly and sometimes you just get one like, Oh great. I gotta go to this text. And, yeah, it's only a couple of screens, but um, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that that was a thing for more recently in, in like the the Wii Wii U era. It seems like that you know Nintendo was made sure to to explain everything so you didn't forget anything. And it almost right. halt where you know it's like okay, I've been I've been playing these games for a long time. You know, I'll figure them out on my own. But the other thing is too, even if you haven't played them that much. 
there's still a sense of discovery by not telling you exactly. It's a fine line though, but I don't know. There's this, or at yeah. least give you the option to skip it, <laughs> yeah. you know, or fast forward the text or something. And that's what they took away in the DX version. In the original, you could skip it. Oh, like, really? Yeah. I think I think maybe you had to listen to it the first time, but then after that, you could press B and it would go away. Gotcha. For some reason, when they went to the DX version, they took that option out, and you have to listen to it every goddamn time. Yeah. And it just ugh, drives me nuts. So. I know these all sound like nitpicky things, but honestly, like it's enough to wear 25 years and I haven't had much desire to actually play through this game again because I just don't, I find the, I find the annoying things outweigh mm. the positive in this game for me. Yeah. Now see, I'm kind of the opposite because I, I can acknowledge that there are issues with it, but I'm still kind of, I'm, I'm still plugging away at the game and there's still times that it's like, oh, I'll get back into this and I'll play it. Uh, you know, oh, have you not finished it yet? No, I have not. So I'm oh, okay. Actually, um, I'm on level seven right now. Okay. Uh, yeah, like I said, I I've been playing here and there the last few weeks, but uh, you know, I figured we we could still talk about it. It's not a big deal. So yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, it's just there's there's nitpicky things, and that's just you know that's going to be an issue with uh, approaching older games for the first time. You know, in a modern age, I guess. And there, and there are a lot of. Go ahead. I was gonna say we might we might be you know looking at it like like we're criticizing things a little bit, but at the same time, I guess if you grew up with it, if you've got fond memories of it, you're probably gonna you know not really worry about it as much, I suppose. But well, and and to be fair, so I don't sound like just you know a complete nitpicker. There are a lot of things about this that I find really enjoyable too, and things that I wouldn't have expected to like mm-hmm. I everybody who's played this remembers that there's this whole like barter system trade thing going on. Yeah. And I, I remember going through all of it as a kid. And when I was playing it this time, like that was something I had in the back of my head, like, Oh, this is going to be annoying. I don't want to have to deal with this. Um, but I actually found it really fun and rewarding. And like mm-hmm. each item I was getting trying to remember like, okay, who do I give this one to? And the, the ultimate reward you get for the trade, I didn't even really care about it but it was still fun to like keep doing the trading all the way up. Like that, that was enjoyable. Um, The seashell thing is another one. Like a lot of times in these games, like going out and trying to find all of the hidden items, is just kind of frustrating or obnoxious. And in this one, like, I think I ended up maybe two seashells shy of, um, you know, having all of them, but it was kind of like, Oh man, I kind of want to go back and play and see if I can find the other ones. Cause like that was, that was an enjoyable scavenger hunt, even though Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have thought it would be Um, the dungeons I found really rewarding. And especially the ones that like, I remembered nothing about, I was excited to play them and it was fun to kind of rediscover them. And they do get really clever toward the end. And the one that you're in now, you're in Eagle tower. Yeah. 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 That's, I think that's one of my favorites because it's got a, it's, the, the solution to it, I won't spoil, but it's it's very clever. And I remember that being one of the most rewarding moments I ever had when I discovered that hmm. or discovered how to solve it as a kid. Okay. Um, nice. The There's some bosses that I think are really clever and really use... Uh, the, the, they're kind of like think outside the box a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not quite as gimmicky as a lot of the modern Zelda games are where, you know, there's literally only one way to do this, but they do kind of have that one weak point. 
you have to exploit it You're probably going to use the item that you found in that dungeon to beat it um but not in an obnoxious way like it's still kind of fun in this case so sure. um all in all, I do say it's it's a fun game, and if you're a Zelda fan and you haven't played it, you should. It's just it has, it has very little replay value for me. Mm. Yeah, I want to go back to um, what you were talking about on the with the trading uh, mini game or side quest. I guess um, what was pretty cool about that is um, I didn't know that that was like I said I hadn't played it as a kid, so I didn't know that that was a thing as it was you know starting to develop. And it's it's kind of cool because this kind of stuff shows up in other games too, and we might have we may have talked about it before. I'm not really sure, but um, that whole trading sequence is based on an old Buddhist folktale um, called Straw Millionaire. And uh, in the Straw Millionaire folktale, it's about a poor man who becomes wealthy through a series of trades, starting with a single piece of straw. And so it's just cool to see that uh, you know that that folktale kind of came into uh video games and and it made perfect sense you know because it is kind of a game in that you have to find the next person and trade this and and go on from there and then um was it ocarina of time had that as well when you were getting the um the bigaron sword i remember at the goron giant sword yeah you do that as an adult and it's the mask trading as a kid so there's kind of two of them yeah which is again same thing the straw millionaire Right. And kind of the same way with uh, Breath of the Wild, if you're uh, if you're trying to build up Terrytown, and the um, the the builder tells you, oh, you need to go find this guy and uh, find this expert, and you go all over the world and trying to. I mean, it's kind of similar, but um, I thought it was cool. Um, my only complaint with it is it tends to add to a lot of backtracking. But yeah, yeah. Again, this is this is me looking at it in 2018, going okay, I've got a limited amount of time to play this. Now I have to go backtrack all across the map through the linear paths to try to find the guy to get the broom to take back to the animal village. And Yeah, and see, I think I think you're right. I think that's a product of you being on more of a time limit yeah. as an adult because yeah, as a kid, I explored this map so thoroughly that you, know, sure. you would think I was playing Breath of the Wild. So right. I would it might be days between trades when I was playing it then. So I didn't see right. it as backtracking. It was just exploration. Yeah. You just, you stumbled on it through the course of your adventure and right. you know, right. oh, I can, I'm going to advance the quest. And that's just, that's the difference now looking at it, you know, since it's come out so many years ago is, you know, we, as adults now, like we just don't have the luxury of, of sitting down, you know, for an entire day and, and playing through this game. It's just not feasible. And it's sad, but at the same time, like I still want to go back and revisit these games. But you know, I want to look at them now to say, okay, what could, what would I do if I was a game designer and I was gonna, you know, make a game in this style? How would I take these elements and how would I make them a little bit more accessible? I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's it's still fun. It's still enjoyable. There's a lot to discover, but at the same time. I'm thinking now, like, okay, I just got to play it for a little bit. Oh, this new game is coming out pretty soon. I want to play that. Oh, this game's coming out. I want to play that. And again, that wasn't a thing back then either. You know, you had one or two games, you played the hell out of them. Right. So, big difference. Okay. So, um, that took more time than I kind of expected it did, but it was a good conversation. You wanted to get into some of the like backstory and history of the game. So, yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, 
some of the development process. And a lot of this um, you can find on Wikipedia as well. But I think it's just interesting and in especially how it kind of um, just shows, like I'm a big fan of like learning about the history of games, like the designers, the developers, um, more so than, you know, the company itself. But, you know, there's always the human element of who created the, these games and, and what did they do? And it's just kind of interesting to me. So, um, you know, just kind of cursory glance on Wikipedia to take, you know, we can take a look and see that Link's Awakening started as, as a side project, really. Um, the idea was to try to port Link to the past, to the Game Boy. Yeah, that and, was the one factoid I remember hearing was that this was going to yeah. be Game Boy version of Link to the Past. Yeah, which is really cool. Um, so it, it became just like a an after-hours, um, almost like an after-school club where um, you had uh, Takashi Tezuka, you had Yoshiaki Kozumi, and uh, quite a few other uh, of Nintendo's designers and developers just kind of working on this as a side project. And then it, you know, it kind of got the green light to develop it full on. What's cool though is I think, I mean, it, as far as following Nintendo and video games now as an adult and kind of learning like who's responsible for what, it's kind of cool to see, uh, for instance, um, if you watch like Nintendo Direct or anything like that, you might have seen um, Yoshiaki Koizumi, who's kind of become one of the more prominent developers now, you know, kind of since Miyamoto's kind of stepped off, you know, off stage a little bit and kind of give the younger talent some time to shine a little bit. It's just interesting because Koizumi most recently was responsible for, well, he, he helped create the Nintendo Switch and also uh, produced Super Mario Odyssey. But if you go back and look, his career actually started with Link to the Past, mm -hmm. where um, he actually was in charge of uh, writing the manual and coming up with a couple of different things for the game. And then Link's Awakening comes on, and he's the one that's responsible for um, writing the story, uh, coming up with the idea of the dream, the interactions with the villagers. So it's really kind of cool to go back and see, okay, you know, a lot of these guys that are still at Nintendo were there 25 years ago. So it's just, it's kind of cool to see. You don't see that that much in the industry. And especially reading about different companies or designers that, you know, started at one company and then they moved on somewhere else. Like, you know, you could look at Capcom and Mega Man, for instance, um, how some games are better than others because a lot of the, the talent leaves and goes on to other jobs and stuff. And I just thought it was cool. Um, it's just a nice little uh, bit of, of nerdery, I guess, for me to kind of look and say, oh, that's cool. Like, he you know, worked on this game, did this 25 years ago. So uh, I don't know. I thought it was cool. Yeah, again, like just... that, the, the sheer fact that this game was created on the Game Boy and has as much uh, meat to it as it really does, it, I, I think that really says something as far as the, um, the quality of the programming and the uh, talent of, of the designers to come up with something this good for a uh, Z80-based, you know, black-and-white calculator, basically, at that point. Right. Yeah. And it's it, when you hear that factoid that it was going to be, you know, a port of Link to the Past, you know, at first you think like, come on, that's absurd. Like mm -hmm. you can't put a Super Nintendo game on the Game Boy like they couldn't even do NES, you know, on the Game Boy. But when you kind of see what this game was and like kind of some of the meat to it and how much depth it had, it's like, you know, OK, like mm -hmm. I could I could see it like it would be a stretch, but the, it it could be done maybe. Yeah. And, you know, Nintendo is one of those companies that has always been 
very innovative, but a lot of times like a little too, like they dream bigger than they're capable of producing. Mm. And like they have a lot of these ideas that come out and everybody gets really excited, but it's not quite what it should be. But then if you give it like 10 years, then you see the actual product. Like I remember the first time I bought my Wii and played it and everybody's like, this is so great. It's motion control. I'm like, oh, they finally made the power glove work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like there's so many little systems like that. And so, you know, we were so excited when the 3DS is like, hey, it's finally able to be a portable Super Nintendo. And then you think back and it's like, well, this kind of was, you know, leading the groundwork back in 1993. Yeah. You know, technically the Game Boy Advance was a portable Super Nintendo. In a a way. Yeah, you're you're right. But yeah, it's just interesting because, and again, you see the same things repeated throughout the years, which I think is cool. Like if you look at, you know, the Switch being a, and I'm sure we've talked about this before, but the Switch being a hybrid console with handheld and, um, you know, television type gaming, you know, that was already a thing with the Game Boy Advance and the Game Boy Player, technically. You know, right, like I could right. play my Game Boy Advance and then plug it into the Game Boy Player and the GameCube and continue from there. But uh, I did want to go back real quick when you said you can't fit a uh, Super Nintendo game on a Game Boy game. And technically you can because there's one game that does that. And if you get the, um, I believe it's the Game Boy version of Space Invaders, if you play that on a Super Game Boy, you will get the entire Super Nintendo version of Space Invaders huh. on there, which is kind of, I mean, obviously it's Space Invaders, so it takes up little to no memory at all. But basically, so they came out with Space Invaders on the Super NES as a cartridge. They came out with Space Invaders on the Game Boy. And that was just, that was the thing. If you plugged the Game Boy version into the Game Boy Player and played it on the Super Nintendo, you would play the exact same game that was on the Super Nintendo cartridge. That's pretty neat. I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, just a, a tiny little bit of trivia. And granted, that's probably the only game you could ever do that with, but still, it was cool. Um, okay, so before we kind of wrap up our main conversation and do maybe do some tips and tricks or listener feedback, um, one other question that has always kind of been odd about this game, and I want your opinion, is how do you feel about all of the uh, cameos that are all over this? I mean, you've got Wart, you've got Yoshi, uh, Dr. Wright from SimCity. Uh, there's Mario references, the Chain Jumps, the Goombas, the Piranha Plants. Like, what do you think about that? Is that cool? Is that a fun nod? Or is that just annoying to you? No, I thought it was really fun. Um, okay. Yeah, it was It was neat to see. Uh, like, I think the first time that you see one of the, in the dungeons, you see one of the Goombas. It's like, oh, wait a second, that's a Goomba. And then there's Shy Guys later, and uh, said Yoshi, and uh, war and everything yeah that was cool um that was something that you don't really see in a lot of other games and or if you do it's just a tiny little cameo but you know this is back when it was just fun to you know hey let's let's put the mario characters in here somewhere let's put you know a few things in i i enjoyed it you know it was it was cheesy but it was funny it's it's the one thing that i'm for that i forgive because of the whole dream thing like so if you want to say there's a good thing for having the dream story because otherwise like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. And I'm a purist enough that I would say like, that's stupid. You know, Link doesn't fight Goombas, but Hey, if it's all a dream, then I guess it's fine. And I mean, the Goombas are great. You know that every time you jump on them, you can get a free heart. So. Yeah. And the fact that you can jump on them in this game. I know you're right. (laughs) I mean, the fact that you can jump at all. I mean, this is the first Zelda game in which you can actually jump 
in a two-dimensional environment. I mean, outside of Zelda 2 being side-scrolling. Yeah, side-scroller. I guess in a top-down Zelda, this is like the first time that you could actually jump, which yep. changes the game quite a bit then. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we posted on social media that you know we were pl- playing this game. Obviously, some people had some feedback. Did you pull any of that up? You want to read through some of that? or? I did, yeah. Actually, um, I've got a really good one from uh, our uh, good listener, Nick Brown. Um, and he's, uh, he's got some really interesting things to say about it, and I'll kind of summarize a little bit. But basically, uh, he played Link's Awakening before Link to the Past uh, when they first came out. And Nick says one thing they nailed was uh, the world feels populated and lived in compared to Link to the Past one town. There's three or four separate towns, one of which is an animal village. Uh, many houses to visit, abandoned castles, ancient ruins, people out and about to trade with. He says there's also lots of cutscene-like events, which makes makes the villagers seem more active in the story than had previously been the norm and give them more heart. Uh, pay special attention to what Marin says, and it will give the perfect ending more meaning. Uh, and he goes on to say, then there's the dungeons. The atmosphere in each is foreboding, reminding him of the feel of OG Zelda and Zelda 2. Music in each dungeon is a fantastic, is fantastic, providing a dark, mysterious feel with deep bass lines. The main puzzle in each dungeon doesn't assume you're stupid. Uh, they give you a cryptic clue and expect you to figure it out, making for some of the most satisfying puzzle solving that he can remember outside of Lufia 2. Uh, some late-game dungeons are real showstoppers, including a tower he must rotate in order to solve its puzzle, and a side-scrolling boss fight that reminds him of the fight with Storm Eagle and Mega Man X. There's so many things to do, such as side quests, mini dungeons. Um, you can steal from the store and be branded as a thief. You can equip bombs and arrows at the same time if you want. Um, you can play the trendy game, get a Yoshi doll. You can equip the Pegasus boots and the rock feather for long dun- long jump distances. Uh, you know, you have the uh, there's a rooster later on that you get. Being able to uh, fly with the rooster adds some fun things. And he says it, it oozes it, it oozes with charm. The moment you hold up a girl as if she were an item you just acquired, I knew that he knew that he would fall in love with the game. So he's remembering all places that he played it on the floor in the bedroom, sitting on the curb at the neighborhood cul-de-sac at the end of the tube slide on the playground on the bus during field trips. This game was a special experience and important to his childhood. Maybe it's nostalgia talking, but uh, Nick says he loves the dungeon designs, the creative bosses, the way you can combine items, the way puzzles didn't assume you were stupid, stupid the mystery of how the game would end, the dialogue, the way the world felt, and the multiple towns. So, um, great feedback there. Um, I think it really that really encapsulates the the feelings of playing this game when it first came out. And, right. You know, you had a whole summer to play it. You know, that was what you were going to do, and I can totally see that. So. Yeah, yeah, and I, I I kind of agree with a lot of the things that he said, and especially about this feeling like it's a very well populated world. Um, I don't think anything matches what Adventure of Link did, but just in terms of the top-down Zeldas, yeah, like that was if you mm-hmm. go That's way back, go way back to our Link to the Past episode, like that was one of my criticisms. There was just how tiny that Hyrule map felt. Yeah, and I feel that way about the original Ocarina of Time as well, though, because it's like once you get out onto the the main uh, overworld, there's just not much there. Some giant open field of grass like yeah it's completely completely disappointing but yeah and in this case like and and a little bit of what you were saying about how it's like so linear and hard to like get from place to place like in a subtle subconscious way that almost makes the world feel bigger 
mm-hmm. because it takes longer to get from East Coast to West Coast. That's true. Um, and there's, so, probably, there's probably screens that you're going to see that you wouldn't normally see if you were taking shortcuts anyway, I guess. Right, right. But uh, yeah, the fact that there are a couple different towns, there are lots of people, you know, living in huts or shacks or wherever, you know, or whatever, you know, various spots. Like it, it felt much more populated than yeah. a lot of the other Zelda games did. So yeah, and there's definitely. especially on the DX version, if you're playing that one, there's uh, there's moments where you you'll get to a certain spot and then a photographer shows up and uh, you know takes a picture of you. And then if you go to the camera shop, if you've got a Game Boy printer you know, you can print those pictures out as stickers or whatever. So, right. it's so weird. <laughs> yeah. But that's, again, that's, that was Nintendo. I mean, that was just, uh-huh. you know, here's a weird peripheral. Here's something strange that it does. And, you know, I don't know. I'm half tempted to, to find a Game Boy printer and just kind of print some of these out. Cause I'm, <laughs> you should. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it'd be cool. You know, I don't know. Again, it's just, it's this game. It's a lighthearted, fun adventure you know, that doesn't take itself too seriously, except for if you dig into the story much deeper, then, then it becomes really philosophical. But yeah. for the most part, it doesn't, I, it's fun. You know, it doesn't take itself too seriously. Yeah. It does kind of walk that line between what could be a very, very dark, you know, almost not appropriate for kids story. Mm-hmm. And then something goofy where, yeah, you're giving a, hair ribbon bow to a little baby chain chomp and finding Yoshi dolls and picking up Marin as if she were an item, like, you know, all these like just silly things. Um, and yeah, w- walking that line between the two is, is kind of an interesting thing for Nintendo to have done in the early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, what's interesting too, is just um, another thing going back to the, the history and the development of this game. Um, Takahashi Tezuka, actually one of his, inspirations was twin peaks of all things really uh, yeah because he he suggested that uh, a lot of the characters in link's awakening be written as suspicious types kind of like in twin peaks where you're not really sure um you know what they're what the deal is and that kind of carries into later games too as far as just you know sort of these odd characters almost mm-hmm. uh, you know especially if you get into like majora's mask and um a lot of those characters in that game were just very bizarre and odd so it's kind of cool to see that you know obviously it's kind of a dated thing but back then you know twin peaks was twin peaks was huge so to take that as an inspiration into a game to create characters that are just kind of odd and suspicious i think is pretty cool right all right so uh i guess kind of closing thoughts for this is this a game you're gonna recommend i would um but just under the um the caveat of, of just saying that in in this day and age, um, be prepared to spend some time with this game because it's not going to be something that you can just pick up and play for a little bit here and there. You really need to sit down and, and dig into it. And, you know, again, I'm it's one that I put down for a little while and I pick back up and, you know, I'll probably put it down for a little bit and then I'll pick it back up and finish it. And, um, it's a game that I think about, you know, there's, there's things that I don't like, but there's a lot of things I do like. And it's like, Oh yeah, that's cool. I should really finish that and see how it, see how it wraps up and, and kind of go from there. So yeah, it's, it's cheap enough that whether you get it digitally or if you find the cartridge, um, the cart is probably going to cost you about 20 bucks. The DX version, that's not terrible. Yeah. Uh, the, or- the original is going for even less than that. It's like about 15. So yeah. Yeah. And I've seen it like as low as 10, 
at the local store and stuff like that. So, um, and even, you know, the 3DS version is probably what, like four ninety nine, six ninety nine, something like that. So yeah, it's like four to five. If, if that, yeah, not going to break the bank by any means. So, um, if, again, if you're a fan of the series, if you're wanting to play some of the lesser known Zelda games that you haven't played, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's worth it. It's just, it's not a perfect game by any means, but I don't think there's really such thing as a perfect game because there's always going to be, there's always going to be things you don't like about certain games. And even my, my thought is always, if a game is frustrating you a little bit, it's probably because it's, it's probably a good game. There's probably still some things that are, um, nitpicky but it's also the sign of a good game i think right so yeah and i'm just gonna you know repeat what i said earlier that i don't want to come down as sounding like just a hater for on this game because i do think there is a lot of good things and a lot of things that are you know redeemable about it most of what i criticize really does come down to the replay value so Mm. if it's if it's something you haven't played before then yes, I definitely think you should, especially if you're a Zelda fan or Game Boy fan, because it's it's very impressive what it was able to do on the Game Boy. And, you know, it, it is one of the upper Zelda titles, so worth playing for that. Uh, but if, if it's one that you played, you know, years ago and you were thinking about revisiting, uh, that's maybe where I would steer you away because I just, I, I don't find this an enjoyable replay. Mm. Interesting. So, all right. So that's enough Zelda talk for now. Uh, we've got another graveyard duck challenge coming up. We do. Uh, that will be starting uh, tomorrow, I guess, when the after the episode goes up. But I guess we can go ahead and talk about it now because uh, it'll be out by then. But um, this will be the uh, final graveyard duck challenge of uh, of this group of challenges. So um, we're going to go back to a uh, score attack. We're going to look for the highest score on. Gradius on NES, so uh, or Gradius or however you want to pronounce it. But uh, uh, basically, we're just going to do kind of like we normally do. It's going to be, you know, just a normal game, uh, highest score. The uh, the only thing that we're going to impose as a limitation is uh, no Konami code. So since right. we didn't allow it for Contra, I don't. It wouldn't be fair to allow it for this. So uh, let's just see what we can do on, uh, you know. A one credit game and see how high of a score you can get without using the Konami code. Yep. Oh, natural. You know, obviously, any extra lives you get, you know, keep going. But um, yeah, one star. And, and I'll tell you also, because I was kind of playing with this a little bit just to see if there was a good spot to be able to catch a high score. And it looks like when you die, the, the score is only on the screen for a very short period of time. But then after it goes away, it goes back to the, you know, one player, two player title screen mm-hmm. if you just let it sit for a second it goes into the the demo um and your score will be at the bottom of the screen on the demo so sure. that's a great time to take a, a snapshot um i will say though that if you don't get at least fifty thousand points your score won't show up because that's what the kind of default you know air quotes top score is yeah. so you got to break fifty thousand to be able to show your score in that way but uh or I guess if, if you wanted to, uh, you know, if you've got a bullet coming right at you at the last second um, before your last life uh, expires and you just want to pause the game and take a screenshot of your score, you could do that too. Yeah. If it, although if you've got the reflexes to pull all of that off, you probably can avoid the bullet. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe. Not. Uh, 
think you can still pause while the game's while the ship's exploding, but it's been a long time since I played Gradius, so I don't really remember. So yeah, this will be fun. It's not necessarily about what level you get to or how far you get in the game. It's just purely about points. So yeah, go yeah. have some fun. Uh, post your scores, and like we said, you know, my my objective with all of this was to make this worth prizes. So every six challenges, um, or what what does that come up to be? Every three months, uh, you. I've been totaling the points that everybody earns as they go along. And so whoever's done the best for the cumulative six challenges will uh, win a $10 gift card, either to your Xbox account, your PlayStation network or your Nintendo eShop. So yeah. Awesome. Get out there, get some points. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just uh, remember post that on, uh, you can post that on our Facebook group. Um, You can post it on our Instagram, on our Twitter um, just with the hashtag graveyard duck challenge. Right. So. And put, put, throw your initials on there somewhere just so we know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll accept those up through usually like Friday morning is when I take them down. So got basically a full week. So yeah, that'd be fun. Okay. To getting into Gradius again. I do yes. like series quite a bit. So yeah, I have more experience with life force than I do with Gradius. So yeah. this will be interesting it's where I'm going to get schooled. I think. All right. It's it's all good fun. So, <laughs> uh, all right. So you threw out all the social media stuff and ways you can get a hold of us. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've got uh, another good episode coming in two weeks. Uh, listener request this time around. So um, yeah, yeah. This will this will be a good one. So yeah. not to spoil it too much, but uh, uh, I don't know. It, stay tuned. It'll be fun. So yeah. One one we've kind of had in the back of our mind is maybe doing as an episode anyway. So yeah, a listener listener just beat us to it. But yeah, which is fine. Anyway, looking forward to that one. Stay tuned for the challenge. Have fun with some Gradius, post some scores. And uh, until we talk to you next time, I'm Scott. And I'm Wes. And just remember, awaken the wind fish and all will be answered.